0: This podcast is part of whenitwascool.com. Support this show and get premium podcasts, newsletters, and more by clicking any Patreon link at whenitwascool.com.
1: How did you happen to get in here? I ran here. You scared the daylights out of me last night. Seems like the truth shouldn't scare anybody, man or boy.
0: Thing getting you oh no no i just thinking about public reaction to all this hey everybody and welcome to when it was cool dark i'm your host carl stern thank you very much for joining me we are talking about 100 of the darkest moments in pop culture history uh, this series will be uh finishing up in uh, 2023 we are over three-fourths of the way uh, through this series now this show is produced and distributed by when it and the when it was cool podcasting network hope you will check us out wherever you get your podcast from i hope you'll go there and type in the words when it was cool and subscribe not only to when it was cool dark but also when it was cool retro pop culture and when it was cool wrestling to enjoy our shows and then if you like what you're doing and we hope you do Hope you'll become a Patreon supporter at whenitwascool.com, where we have over 2,000 shows in our archive. Yes, you heard that right. So for as little as a dollar a month, you can have plenty of stuff to listen to in 2023. So today's show, and I can't believe it's been this long, uh, 1999 is when today's uh, events took place. And we're going to be talking about, in terms of popular culture today, we're going into the realm of sports. Now, I'm not a big golf fan myself. I don't really play golf. I have played it in the past, but I'm not like a golfer or anything like that. It's been years and years since I've even set foot on a golf course, just not the sport for me. But it is a very popular sport, and there are pro golfers, and pro golfing is a very uh, popular sport. And we're going to talk about a tragic death involving a professional golfer today. Now, when you think about golf, uh, we've talked about some sports where people have died doing those sports. Everything from professional wrestling... To uh, even professional baseball and hockey, and those were certainly tragic events. And uh, today's obviously didn't take place on the golf course. I mean, there's very limited ways. It's not like the most dangerous sport in the world or anything like that. I suppose there could be a golf cart accident or something like that, or, or I mean, I guess even more realistically, like a lightning strike. Right? I mean, we've heard of that that happening. But today's events took place off of the golf course, but it certainly made the news. It was a very unusual tragedy that, stuck, that struck the uh, golf world, and that is the death of Payne Stewart. And again, I can't believe this happened back in 1999. I vividly remember watching this unfold on television and thinking, wow, at that time, we didn't even really know what was going on. Uh, I live in the state of Alabama, uh, a college football fan, as most people in our state are. It's a very college football-heavy fan. And we there's a connection to our uh, state there as, as well. Someone aboard that plane was a former Alabama football quarterback. And uh, so we're talking about a plane crash that happened in 1999. I want to go to the Washington Post, to the story as it appeared at that time. We're going back to October of 1999. This is from the Washington Post, October the 26th, 1999 to be specific. Golfer Payne Stewart dies in jet crash. And the story has even a stranger twist in that odds are that headline is in fact probably wrong. Uh, Probably Payne Stewart died before the plane crashed. Uh, How did that happen? Well, Let's investigate and see. It's a very very sad story, very uh, interesting story, but sad story to be sure. Yes, a professional golfer dies, has a plane crash, but may not have died in that plane crash. (laughs) His death may have happened before that. So let's dive into it and see what happened. This is from uh, Mina, South Dakota, your dateline, October 25th, 1999. A Learjet carrying a professional golfer, Payne Stewart, and at least four others streaked uncontrolled for thousands of miles across the heart of the country today. Its occupants apparently unconscious or already dead before it plunged nose first and crashed in a field near this north central South Dakota hamlet. No one on the ground was hurt and there were no survivors aboard the aircraft which came down in a marshy area about two miles southwest of here. The cause of the the uncontrolled flight and crash after the Learjet 35 apparently ran out of fuel were not known. But aviation experts speculated that the aircraft may have lost pressurization and that the emergency backup systems failed as the plane's autopilot kept it in the air. Loss of, press, press, of pressurization, excuse me before uh, above 30,000 feet, would cause occupants of the aircraft to lose consciousness from oxygen deficiency in one or two minutes, the experts say. During some of its eerie, almost four-hour journey from Orlando to a swampy grassland in South Dakota, the Learjet was shadowed by Air Force and National Guard jet fighters, whose pilots reported that the aircraft's windows were frosted over, suggesting that it had lost pressurization. The Air Force pilots also reported that the Learjet meandered from as low as 22,000 feet to as high as 51,000 feet, but it never strayed from a northwest heading. The military were not armed with air to air missiles, and Pentagon officials said that they never considered shooting down the Lear jet. The Federal Aviation Administration said that the uh, said this thing was headed to a sparsely populated part of the country, so let it go, a senior defense official said. According to the FAA, the plane left Orlando, where Payne Stewart lived, at 9.19 a.m. Eastern Time today and was bound for Dallas. Stewart, a two-time U.S. Open champion, was scheduled to play later this week in the PGA Championship in Houston, the tour's final event of the year. The FAA said air traffic controllers lost radio contact with the plane at 9.44 a.m. just after they had cleared the twin engine to climb to 39,000 feet northwest of Gainesville, Florida. An FAA spokesman said that air traffic controllers noted significant changes in altitude by the plane, but that the aircraft's crew did not respond to repeated radio calls from the ground. Pentagon officials said the military began its pursuit of the ghostly civilian aircraft at 10.08 a.m. when two Air Force F-16 fighters from Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida that were on a routine training mission were asked by the FAA to intercept it. The F-16s did not reach the Learjet, but an Air Force F-15 fighter from Eglin Air Force Base in Florida that was also asked to to locate it got within sight of the aircraft and stayed with it from 11.09 a.m. to 11.44 a.m. when the military fighter was diverted to St. Louis for fuel. Fifteen minutes later, four Air National Guard F-16s and a KC-135 tanker from Tulsa were ordered to try to catch up with the Learjet, but only got within 100 miles. But two other Air National Guard F-16s from Fargo, North Dakota, intercepted the Learjet at 12.54 p.m., reporting that the aircraft's windows were fogged with ice and that no flight control movement could be seen. At 1.14 p.m., the F-16s reported that the Learjet was beginning to spiral toward the ground. The Learjet 35 is a pressurized aircraft that is also equipped with individual emergency oxygen masks for the passengers and crew if the pressurization system fails above 12,000 feet. Tom Baum, a Learjet pilot instructor, told CNN that a panel light in the cockpit of the plane goes on if there is a problem with the pressurization and that a backup system should then automatically begin to function. He said Learjet pilots are required to wear oxygen masks around their necks. In nearby Aberdeen, South Dakota, Highway Patrol Sergeant Scott Worry said he and other troopers were alerted that the aircraft was headed their way. They went outside their headquarters and spotted the jet in the air. It appeared to be flying not in a straight line, Worry said. It was wavering. You could see by its trail that it was not going in a straight line. Then it headed straight down, nose first. Terry Junt, who came upon the aircraft wreckage while on horseback in this sparsely populated region, said they are going to have a hard time finding anything of anybody in there. Investigators for the National Transportation Safety Board arrived after dark and said a full investigation would begin on Tuesday morning. Bill Curry, a spokesperson for Stewart's family, said the four others who were killed were the two pilots of, and Stewart's agents, Robert Fraley and Van Arden. Fraley was a chief executive officer, and Arden was president of Leader Enterprises, a sports management company. The Associated Press said the pilots were Michael King, 43, and Stephanie uh, uh, Gage, age 27. The AP also reported that a six-person A golf course designer might have been on board. Learjet's parent company, uh, Bombardier Aerospace of Montreal, said the aircraft was being operated by Charter Service Sunjet Aviation Incorporated of Sanford, Florida. It said the Learjet 35 had logged more than 10,000 flying hours and 7,500 takeoffs and landings since originally being delivered in April of 1976. Its range, when carrying four passengers and maximum fuel, is 2,527 miles. Payne Stewart, age 42, won his first MGA championship, or excuse me, PGA championship in 1989 and his first U.S. Open two years later. But his most dramatic victory in a major tournament occur, uh, occurred in June on the final hole at Pinehurst, number two, in North Carolina, where he sank a fifteen foot par putt to win the US Open by one stroke over Phil Mickelson. Widely known for his colorful golfing attire of plus fours pants that resembled knickers, tarn O'Shanter hats, that's the you know, you recognizable when you see it, just you know, Google a picture of Payne Stewart. It's obvious what you are talking about. Payne Stewart won 18 golf tournaments around the world, including three major championships and $11.7 million during his career. He once endured a major slump, going eight years with only one victory. More recently, Payne Stewart credited a newfound faith he said he gained through his children for improvements in his play and attitude. He said, quote, I'm so much more at peace with myself than I've ever been in my life. He said that after winning the uh, year's U.S. Open. In a statement, PGA Golf Commissioner Tim uh, Feinchin expressed our shock, our sense of shock and sadness over the death of one of the organization's most prominent members. This is a tremendous loss for the entire golfing community and all sports. Payne was a great champion, a gentleman, and a devoted husband and father. News of Payne Stewart's sudden death also left other professional golfers reeling. It's shocking. It's a tragedy, said Tiger Woods, the PGA's top money winner this year. This is an enormous void and emptiness I feel right now. Stewart is survived by his wife, Terry or excuse me, Tracy Ferguson, a daughter, Chelsea, who was 13 at the time, and son, Aaron, who was 10 at the time. So uh, you can see, I mean, a lot of detail in that article. Uh, Payne Stewart was a uh, very accomplished golfer. And you can just see the uh, a lot of the... Um, Uh, questions the mystery surrounding it at the time conjecture i guess you could say about what exactly did happen and and how it happened uh we will find out more on it uh coming up in this show we'll find out the exact final cause and 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 what happened but i just remember this being a very surreal incident i mean news stations were were covering this course at this time 1999 your 24-hour news stations were well entrenched in society cnn fox msnbc headline news you know it seemed like there were uh, half a dozen news channels completely on the news cycle and so stuff like this was uh, heavily covered, and I can remember watching just being glued to the television as a multi-hour ordeal unfolded. Uh, First, it's just, you know, this plane out of control, not responding to air traffic controllers, going to be intercepted by, you know, the uh, military jets and stuff. And then as more information comes in, they realize, hey, it's a a celebrity of of sorts. It's a a sports figure. It's this this, uh, pro golfer, Payne Stewart. And then to follow it, you know, further and further, the one jet has to pull away to get fuel. Others intercept it and then it crashes in the ground in, in South Dakota. And there's all these hours of conjecture about what's going on, what's happening. And again, once the celebrity connection was made, it become an even more uh, detailed and prominent news story. The Wikipedia. Uh, entry about this is oddly under the title 1999 South Dakota Learjet crash you would have thought it would have led with the uh, you know celebrity tie to it making it on our list of 100 of the darkest moments of pop culture history Wikipedia decides just to go with the very dry 1999 South Dakota Learjet crash and what they say about it is on October 25, 1999, a chartered Learjet 35 business jet was scheduled to fly from, from Orlando, Florida, to Dallas, Texas. Early in the flight, the aircraft, which was climbing to its assigned altitude on autopilot, lost cabin pressure, and all six on board were incapacitated by hypoxia, the lack of oxygen in the brain and body. The aircraft continued climbing past its assigned altitude, then failed to make the westward turn toward Dallas over north Florida, Continued continued on its northwestern course, flying over the southern and midwestern United States for almost four hours and 1,500 miles. The plane ran out of fuel over South Dakota and crashed into a field near Aberdeen after an uncontrolled descent. Uh, Two pilots were Michael King and Stephanie uh, uh, Bell Garragage. Uh, the four passengers on board were PGA golfer Payne Stewart. And again, there was some confusion about who ac- at the time of that Washington Post article about who was actually on board. So here are your actual list of passengers: uh, PGA golfer Payne Stewart, his agent and former Alabama football quarterback Robert Fraley, president of the agency, Van Arden, and Bruce Borland. And a, a golf architect with uh, the Jack Nicholas uh, Jack Nicholas Golf Course Design Company. So those are your uh, actual casualties of the flight. The uh, flight itself uh, w- stretched over uh, a co- uh, you know most of northern Florida, uh, clipped the edge of, of uh, South West Georgia, flew over the eastern to the northwest corner of Alabama, Tennessee, uh, up. Almost directly over St. Louis, Missouri, and then up uh, to Minnesota before finally coming to rest in um, South Dakota. the The crash itself, again, it seems like the the indications are that the uh, crew had uh, passed away before crashing um, into the ground. That the crash itself didn't actually caused the deaths. Uh, Following the crash, as as far as a follow-up to it, Payne Stewart was ultimately headed to Houston for the 1999 Tour Championship, but planned to stop in Dallas for discussions with the athletic department of his alma mater, Southern Methodist University, about building a new home course for the school's golf program. Payne Stewart was memorialized at the tour championship with a lone bagpipe player playing at the first hole at the Champions Golf Club prior to the beginning of the first day of play. The owner of the crash site, after consulting the wives of Stewart and several other victims, created a memorial on about one acre of the site. At its center is a rock pulled from the the site inscribed with the names of the victim and a Bible passage. The 2000 U.S. Open held at Pebble Beach Golf Links began with a golf version of a 21-gun salute when 21 of Stewart's fellow players simultaneously hit balls into the Pacific Ocean. So it's very interesting. The 2000 in 2001, Payne Stewart was uh, inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame, and on June 8, 2005, a Florida State Court jury in Orlando found that Learjet was not. Liable for the deaths of Stewart and his agents, so you can imagine that there was a lawsuit about it. Of course, you know, with something like this, it would be expected. Uh, There was also a documentary about this, the uh, the series called Mayday, and uh, uh, it first aired uh, on uh, June seventh, two thousand sixteen. So, I imagine that's probably on streaming. Uh, somewhere out there. So when we come back after the break, uh, we'll take a look at the uh, final crash report and find out. Well, just what what did happen here? Uh, what was the cause? Uh, do we know for sure if they did uh, pass away prior to the crash? Because uh, this would be, I mean, uh, a plane crash ha- that you, especially one you know is coming, has to be absolutely terrifying. The uh, death by hypoxia, on the other hand. If you've got to go, that's uh, not one of the worst ways to go. It is uh, very peaceful. You basically go to sleep and never wake up. It's tragic, yes, but uh, that, if you got a choice between the two, dying in a plane crash or that, well, the, the first is probably the, the better of the, or, or the uh, hypoxia is probably the better of the two choices. But it's absolutely one of the 100 darkest moments of pop culture history as this very famous golfer uh, dies in a, Uh, aerial-related situation, let's just say that. When we come back, let's find out why right after Excuse me, please. Let's don't talk negatively. Speaking of winners, surprise, surprise, WhenItWasCool.com is your home for retro pop culture articles and podcasts. To all our patron supporters, this is for you, Fannie Mae. Solid gold, just like you and me. Family-friendly and fun. WhenItWasCool.com
1: The golf world is mourning the death of U.S. Open champion Payne Stewart and five others. Now comes the investigation into one of the most unusual incidents in U.S. aviation history today, Tuesday, October 26, 1999. Hours before the Learjet crashes on the South Dakota prairie, authorities know Payne Stewart and all five others aboard must certainly be dead. Know that from Air Force Captain Chris Hamilton, who first intercepts the plane in flight. After the Lear takes off from Orlando and radio contact is mysteriously lost, Hamilton, flying an F-16 in exercises over the Gulf of Mexico, is diverted to chase the Lear and see what's wrong. NBC News has obtained this tape from a camera on the F-16's nose and sound from its radio as Hamilton refuels from a tanker plane in flight. Uh, for the gas, now calls air traffic controllers on the ground. Uh, say type aircraft of the intercepting in the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem is unknown and uh, type aircraft is a Lear 35. Controllers try to contact the Lear using its call letters 47 Bravo Alpha. Lear 47 Bravo Alpha. But there's no answer. Controllers wonder if those aboard could have passed out from a lack of oxygen. If so, could they be jolted from their stupor to use emergency oxygen? Lear 4-7 Bravo Alpha, go to 100% oxygen. Only silence. Now at 44,000 feet, the Earth's horizon no longer in sight. Finally, Captain Hamilton and the F-16 has the Lear in sight, though it's not seen here because the Lear's off to one side. Hamilton calls. Lear 4-7, Bravo Alpha, F-16, please think left side. There's still nothing. But as Hamilton closes to within 50 feet now, what he sees is terrible. It looks like the uh, front to cockpit is uh, either frosted or uh, basically condensed over. I can't see inside the the cockpit. Terrible, because a window frozen inside almost certainly means depressurization, loss of oxygen, dropping temperatures inside to 40 below. Hamilton reports to controllers deadly conditions. And uh, no response from the... uh Target aircraft, as I mentioned, both sides of the cockpit are uh, condensed or frosted over. <laughs> could not see in, in the uh, cockpit area, no apparent damage to the aircraft. No broken window or hole in the plane, no ready explanation for loss of oxygen. Did everything look like it was intact? Did it look like there was any damage to the aircraft? I saw uh, no damage to the aircraft uh, that I could see. And still no response. As the F 16, low on fuel now, breaks off, all hope lost. Pilotless, the Lear flies on on autopilot halfway across the country until it runs out of fuel and spirals to earth in a very remote area. Today, Captain Chris Hamilton recalls his frustration that day. I was basically flying about 50 feet away from the Learjet at the time, and it was just a very disheartening feeling to be that close uh, and recognize those people in that aircraft uh, were in distress and I couldn't do anything to help them
0: clearly there's going to be a lot of questions about this uh, unique incident. I mean, it's a plane crash, but maybe the plane crash didn't cause the deaths. What, if it it was even hypoxia, the plane cabin lost pressure, what caused it? Was there some sort of malfunction as we've already learned? Uh, There was a lawsuit apparently, but Learjet was determined not to be at fault in it. So there had to be some determinations uh, made. So let's see if we can find out what Actually, happened. The final Payne Stewart crash report is released, and uh, this is from an article from ABC News. Dateline November 28, 2000. So, basically, a year uh, after the crash to a year long investigation. Let's find out what, if anything, they were able to determine. After a year long investigation, investigators say that they are unable to pinpoint exactly what caused the crash that killed golf champion Payne Stewart and five others last year. In the final report released today, the National Transportation Safety Board said that the probable cause of the crash was the loss of consciousness of the two pilots caused by a loss in cabin pressure and a failure to get emergency oxygen. However, the NTSB officials were unable to determine what caused the cabin pressure to drop. The investigation, the NTSB chairman Jim Hall noted, was hampered by the extensive damage to the plane and the fact that it was not equipped with a flight data recorder. The airplane was not equipped with a flight data recorder, an invaluable tool in most major investigations, and it had only a 30-minute cockpit voice recorder, Hall said. Hall noted that uh, Payne's Learjet 35 hit the ground at near supersonic speed and at an extremely steep angle, leaving nearly none of the plane's components intact. The board also could not determine whether an emergency oxygen bottle had been as uh, fully charged as it should have been or had been or whether the pilots had lost their capability to perform before or after donning oxygen masks. Uh, Payne Stewart's plane crashed on October 25, 1999 near Aberdeen, South Dakota, began veering off course shortly after takeoff from Orlando, Florida, en route to Dallas. Air traffic controllers lost radio contact with pilots 25 minutes after takeoff when the plane was climbing through 37,000 feet and located northwest of Gainesville, Florida. The business jet continued to head northwest for more than four hours until apparently running out of fuel. Investigators told the NTSB the Air Force and Air National Guard tried to intercept the jet during its fatal flight. Military pilots said the windshield of the jet appeared to be frosted or covered with condensation and that they could not see inside the crew's cabin. They did not notice any other structural damage or abnormality to the plane. Business associates Ivan Arden, Bruce Borland, and Robert Fraley and pilots Michael uh, Kilgran or, 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 and uh, Stephanie uh, Bellagray There's a there's a typo here. I think they've run the word "clean" and the word "and" together here. Were uh, killed with with uh, Stewart in the accident. Payne Stewart's family and the families of his business associates have filed suit against Sunjet Aviation Incorporated and JetShares One Inc. The plane's operator and owner, respectively. The FBI is pursuing its own investigation of Sunjet and has seized company records to determine if it may have broken federal rules on maintenance and record keeping. Again, none of this is really abnormal. It was I, I suspect it was just such a high-profile situation, and obviously something went wrong. Obviously, there was some sort of mechanical failure or human failure or, or something involved here that bears in investigating. So, again, I don't think... Uh, I would read uh, you know, anything sinister into any of these investigations. It sounds all uh, correct in, in what's happening here. Uh, in the uh, wake of the Payne-Stewart crash, the NTSB sent 11 safety recommendations to the Federal Aviation Administration. Among other things, it urged the FAA to revise uh, existing guidance about high-altitude operations to reflect the time of, quote, useful consciousness and the rate of performance degradation after decompression. In addition, the board recommended operators of all pressurized cabin aircraft should brief pilots on the importance of a thorough pre-flight review of the oxygen system, including checks on supply pressure, uh, regulator operation, oxygen flow, mask fit, and communications using mask microphones. And uh, so... Again, so it looks like some things, some standard, new standard operating procedures came out of uh, the the crash. But again, uh, very uh, too bad. I mean, again, it was obviously a super catastrophic crash uh, that the... Information about it not having a flight data recorder, which probably a, a jet of that size may not have been required to have, probably wasn't required to have, hindered the investigation. And the uh, we also learned from that report that apparently at near supersonic speed, did this plane a uh, crash uh, nose first into the ground, and you can imagine there was probably very little to nothing that could be gleaned from the wreck scene that could help determine a cause. Uh, it was probably so. Uh, violent and dramatic a crash. The uh, Learjet's cockpit voice recorder, the, v- the CVR, which was, a re- was actually recovered from the wreckage, contained an audio recording of the last 30 minutes of the flight. And it was an older model which only recorded 30 minutes of audio. The aircraft was also not equipped with a flight data recorder. At 1710 Universal Time, the Learjet's engines can be heard winding down on the CVR recording, indicating that the plane's fuel had been exhausted. In addition, sounds of the stick shaker and the disconnection of the autopilot can be heard. With the engines powered down, the autopilot would have attempted to maintain altitude, causing the plane's airspeed to drop until it approached a stall speed at which point the stick shaker would have automatically engaged to warn the pilot and the autopilot would have been then switched itself off at 1711 universal time the lear began a right turn and descent nodak 32 remained to the west while tulsa 13 broke away from the tanker and followed n47ba the plane's number down At 1711, the Nodak 32 lead pilot reported, The target is descending and is doing multiple rolls. Looks like he's out of control. In a severe descent, request an emergency descent to follow target. The Tulsa 13 pilot reported, It's soon to impact the ground. He is in a descending spiral. Impact occurred approximately 1713 universal time or 1213 local time after a total flight time of 3 hours, 54 minutes, with the aircraft hitting the ground at near supersonic speed and at an extreme angle. The Learjet crashed in South Dakota, just outside of Mena in Edmonds County, on relatively flat ground, and left a crater 42 feet long, 21 feet wide, and 8 feet deep. None of its components remained intact. So, the investigation, obviously, with something that's been followed by all the news, uh, followed by, you know, all these 24 hours news sites on live TV, the military's involved, there is evidence that people are deceased on this plane prior to the crash you can imagine the investigation is very very detailed we've already talked about the outcome of it where they were unable to determine what exactly led to this the national transportation safety board has several levels of investigation of which the highest is a major investigation because of the extraordinary circumstances in this crash a major investigation was performed the NTSB determined that, as we previously stated, the probable cause of this accident was incapacitation of the flight crew members as a result of their failure to receive supplemental oxygen following a loss of cabin pressure for undetermined reasons. The uh, the board added a commentary regarding the possible reasons why the crew did not obtain supplemental oxygen. So here's where they begin theorizing. Why did they not get their oxygen masks on? What, you know, what's going on inside this plane very shortly after takeoff to cause this catastrophic uh, crash almost 2,000 miles later? Following the depressurization, the pilots did not receive supplemental oxygen in sufficient time and or adequate concentration to avoid hypoxia and incapacitation. The wreckage indicated that the oxygen bottle pressure regulator shutoff valve was open on the accident flight. Further, although one flight crew mask hose connector was found in the wreckage disconnected from its valve, valve receptacle, the other connection was, connector was not recovered, damage to the recovered connector in both receptacles was consistent with both flight crew masks having been connected to the airplane's oxygen supply lines at the time of impact. In addition, both flight crew mask microphones were found plugged into their respective crew microphone jacks. Therefore, assuming the oxygen bottle contained an adequate supply of oxygen, supplemental oxygen should have been available to both pilots by way of their oxygen masks. A possible explanation for the failure of the pilots to receive emergency oxygen is that their ability to think and act decisively was impaired because of hypoxia before they could don their oxygen mask. No definitive evidence exists that indicates the rate at which the accident flight lost its cabin pressure. Therefore, the safety board evaluated conditions of both rapid and gradual depressurization. If there had been a breach in the fuselage, even a small one that could not be visibly detected by the in-flight observers, or a seal feature, the cabin could have depressurized gradually, rapidly, or even explosively. Research has shown that a period of time as little as 8 seconds without supplemental oxygen, following by rapid depressurization, to about 30,000 feet may cause a drop in oxygen saturation that can significantly impair cognitive functioning and increase the amount of time required to complete complex tasks. A more gradual decompression could have resulted from other possible causes, such as a smaller leak in the pressure vessel or a closed-flow control valve. Safety board testing determined that a closed-flow valve would cause complete depressurization in the airplane's flight altitude over a period of several minutes. However, without supplemental oxygen, substantial adverse effects on cognitive and motor skills would have been expected soon after the first clear indication of decompression, when the cabin altitude reached 10,000 feet, which could have occurred in about 30 seconds. Investigations of other accidents in which flight crews attempted to diagnose a pressurization problem or inflate emergency pressurization uh, instead of immediately donning oxygen masks following a cabin altitude alert have revealed that even with a relatively gradual rate of depressurization, pilots have rapidly lost cognitive or motor abilities to effectively troubleshoot the problem or don their masks shortly thereafter. In this accident, the flight's crew failure to obtain supplemental oxygen in time to avoid incapacitation could be explained by delay in donning the oxygen mask of only a few seconds in the case of an explosive or rapid decompression or a slightly longer delay in the case of a gradual decompression. In summary, the safety board was unable to determine why the flight crew could not or did not receive supplemental oxygen in sufficient time or adequate concentration to avoid hypoxia and incapacitation. So, again, they're, they're, they're theorizing that, you know, being um, basically like being put in a sleeper hold, uh, you know, an MMA or something like that. You so quickly lose oxygen to the brain that you don't have time to make decisions, and your your, and oxygen deprivation is causing confusion. It's causing you not to make uh, rational decisions. Even if you realize something's going on, you may not have the mental faculties to go. Oh, I need to put my oxygen mask on. So it's a it's a very uh, quick acting uh, incapacitator, and that's what the uh, NTSB's. As basically, uh, uh, theorized. The NTSB report showed that the plane had several instances of maintenance work related to cabin pressure in the months leading up to the crash. The NTSB was unable to determine whether they stemmed from a common problem replacements and repairs were documented but not the pilot discrepancy reports that prompted them or the frequency of such reports the report criticized SunJet aviation for the possibility that this would have made the problem harder to identify track and resolve as well as the fact that in at least one instance the plane was flown with an unauthorized maintenance deferral for cabin pressure problems so apparently there was a little bit of a of a, at least a documented history that something was going on with the cabin pressure uh, involving this. So a, a very uh, sad story, a very uh, uh, devastating story to one, uh, you know, about one Payne Stewart here and uh, his death, a very uh, celebrated golfer, again, a, a, a champion uh, golfer, and he was... Um, he was only 42 years old when he was killed, so a uh, very, very sad thing. Just a quick biography of Payne Stewart for those of you who, like myself, maybe not that uh, you know, accustomed to golf, not that familiar with golf. He was born January 30th, 1957, and as we've uh, established, was killed October 25th, 1999. He won 11 PGA Tours, including three major championships, the last of which came just a few months before his death at the age of 42. He gained his first major title at the 1989 PGA Championship. He won the 1991 U.S. Open after a playoff against Scott Simpson. At the 1999 U.S. Open, Stewart captured his third major title after holding a 15-foot par putt on the final hole for a one-stroke victory. Payne Stewart was a popular golfer with spectators who responded enthusiastically to his distinct clothing. He was reputed to have the biggest wardrobe of all professional golfers and was a favorite of photographers because of his flamboyant attire. So, a very a lot of showmanship in his game, and apparently a very accomplished, a good gol- champion golfer as well. So, uh, this is this will conclude our look at uh, this instance, the death of, of Payne Stewart. Again, a very, very uh, sad story. I mean, a very uh, interesting, different kind of story. Plane crash that you know, Matt have involved the death before the plane ever crashed. And we've seen a few plane crashes as we went to our 100 uh, Darkest Moments of Pop Culture History series. Uh, we've talked about, you know, Leonard Skinner, and that, that, again, Jacksonville, Florida was in that story. We talked about John Denver and his experimental... Uh, plane crash as well so plane crashes have been uh, part of our our journey so far through the 100 of the darkest moments in pop culture history so I thank you very much for listening to this show I hope you found it informative and again you know the uh, object of this is not to depress anybody you know that understand there's a lot of death and destruction in this series but rather to uh, celebrate the lives of those artists who uh, may have been taken too soon through some sort of Uh, act or accident or even crime or something of that nature we've been there have been many of these in this this series so far and for ones maybe like you know like uh, pga golf you know hockey golf they're they're not things i've ever been really that uh interested in or invested in but i find it fascinating to to learn about these people these masters of their craft and i always love uh, hearing, no matter if it's even something I'm not that interested in or or that knowledgeable about, I love to hear any anytime some master of a craft is is explaining their craft. Uh, Because I find it fascinating, the thought process of of many of these champions is often very similar. They're often very motivated people and uh, understand nuances and uh, technicalities of the things they do uh, better than most. And I think that defines a a champion, is uh, knowing what you do better than uh, anybody else does and so that's uh, fantastic and uh, so go t- if you're a golf fan go check you out some Payne stewart and look back on his career so thank you very much for listening uh, we will be back here next week with another installment of the show right now over at when it was cool.com the uh, big thing we have going speaking of a it's not really a sport although it involves tremendous athleticism we're talking about the art form of professional wrestling and we have at the beginning of the year uh, introduced our giant feature article the biggest one we've done in a while 201 of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time the definitive list of the 201 greatest pro wrestlers of all time and the reason i say that because wrestling is an art and it's subjective and what you find interesting and exciting and quote good about it may be different from other people so how can you come up with a definitive list well, what I've done is I've come up with the universal consensus. I've taken over 30 different sources. Different people have made top 100 lists, different magazines, books, websites. I've made these you know, top 100 lists. Uh, Pro Wrestling the Illustrated Magazine famously does a 500 list every year. Uh, I've taken uh, those, uh, top 50 books, uh, whatever. Uh, then I also took uh, Wrestling Historians. Several very respected wrestling historians and researchers had done their own top 100 of all time. So what I did was I took all of those, assigned a point value to every digit in there, one through a 100, and uh, averaged those out. And now we know the universal consensus of many major mainstream publications from Sports Illustrated all the way to Pro Wrestling Illustrated and uh, many wrestling historians who the universal consensus is for the 201 greatest pro wrestlers of all time. So I hope you'll go to whenitwascool.com if you're interested in pro wrestling or just interested in a a good read. Even if you're not, again, masters of their craft doing something is always interesting. So check that out. I hope you will become a Patreon supporter at whenitwascool.com. That's how we do our podcasting network. That's how we do articles like that. We need your help. So thank you very much for checking it out. Look forward to seeing you here again. And uh, do check out the other shows on our podcasting network. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go to whenitwascool.com. This is the sound of the 80s. Everybody's looking for it, and we've got it. And hit that Patreon button. If you'll excuse me, I need to go buy a new Cyndi Lauper CD and have myself a little cry.